Thank you for joining us for another episode of CryptoCurrent. Just one quick reminder. CryptoCurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the CryptoCurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrency production is exclusively for informational purposes. Everybody for Cryptocurrent. I'm Stephen Miller, and you're watching the Aftershock, our weekly show where we take you through the latest and greatest in the wild world of Web3 to serve as your connection and update resource. Today, I'm joined by Chris Corneros. Chris is the host of our Crypto Decrypted mini series on basics in crypto. Chris, how are we doing? Doing great, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It is another beautiful day here in crypto land. And as some of you at home who are joining us as a repeat viewer might notice, um, Chris is not Richard. So we're actually going to be celebrating for the next two weeks um, Richard's um, wedding. He's going to be getting married here in the next couple of days. But Chris and I are going to be delivering most of your content through this next couple of weeks. Uh, we hope that you enjoy it. And worst case scenario, come back in a couple of weeks. Richard will be back. Right. Um, but today, while dad's away, the kids will play. That's the way that we're going to do it today. Uh, we got great news ahead for you. We're going to cover all of the, our lightning round topics, the big stories from the last week. And then we're going to dive right into our Aftershock segment where we break down one of the bigger narratives on the last week. Uh, before we dive too far into it, I do want to go ahead and give one quick ask. If you can give me just one quick press of a button, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Or if you're listening to this back on your you know preferred podcast directory, please give us a follow there as well. We'd really appreciate it. But without any further ado, let's dive into what we have on deck today. Big, the big topic right now is brands moving into the metaverse. You may be asking yourself, what the hell, Stephen? You've got a ton of people right now that are just talking about Russia and Ukraine and a bear market. But no, this is cryptocurrency. We're here to educate you and give you better content than just what is constantly being talked about. So we're going to be doing that in spades today. But the only way that we can do that is by jumping into buy, sell, or hodl to tell you our quick lightning round. Buy, buy sell, sell, or hodl. HODL. So buy, sell, or hodl. We give you our take on whether or not these stories are bullish, bearish, or you just got to hodl and wait it out. So Chris, why don't you start us off? What's this first story? So central exchanges are refusing to block Russia or payments uh, either from Russians or in Russia, which many... Other centralized payment systems are opting to do. I'm sure everyone has seen all the news. Visa, MasterCard, and American Express have all pulled their services and deactivated the cards currently working in Russia. It's a really interesting uh, story there. But again, as I said, we're going to keep on going. Um, On-chain data is now showing that more of the Russian populace is buying crypto as they've been locked out of um, more primary payment sources. So pretty interesting stuff. 
But tied to that, we have a statement from Jerome Powell, who's the head of the uh, US Fed, saying that Russia's invasion underscores the need for cryptocurrency regulation to prevent individuals from using it to evade sanctions. I agree, but there's a caveat here. Our cryptocurrency regulation isn't necessarily going to make people in Russia not buy cryptocurrency, right? Like that's that's the bigger takeaway here. Am I incorrect in that, Chris? Nope, I think you are completely right there. Cool. So old people are still being old. Glad to know it. What's this next story? So NVIDIA hackers, um, they removed the graphics card mining limitations. So for those who don't know, uh, within the last, I think, two or three years, NVIDIA, which is a massive uh, graphics and chip processing company uh, based around computers, but really computer gaming, They released their 3000 series of graphics cards, which are incredibly powerful. For those who don't know, graphics cards also double as crypto mining units because they function very similarly. So what essentially what these hackers did is something called overclocking, where you remove the technological limitations on the amount of power that can be processed and essentially make it do anywhere from two to five times as much. Now see, that's one of the interesting pieces about this, Chris. This actually is something that came out in the last two or three days. Yes, you can use a graphics card to um, mine, but the way that NVIDIA has deployed those graphics cards over the course of the last three to five years is they actually cut it in half. So they could tell if you were mining crypto and they basically made the graphics cards only operate at half capacity or half of um, the speed to essentially catch up with the hash rate. These hackers came in and they actually um, were able to penetrate NVIDIA's systems and get access to over a terabyte worth of data that included the vast majority of NVIDIA's trade secrets. They then made this request. Seriously, this is my favorite story of the week. <laughs> um, they then decided that they were going to ransom this not for crypto, not for fiat, because who needs that paper garbage? No, they wanted to tell NVIDIA that unless they remove the graphics card mining limitations, they were going to release all this data. So they're blackmailing them for good, I guess. Yeah, so I guess that makes them white hats in this situation. I think it's... I'm pretty sure it's a gray area, so we'll stick with gray hats for now. But yeah. uh, let's dig into a DeFi story real quick. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with Andre Cronier. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Andre Cronier is one of the most well-known and prolific developers in the decentralized finance space. And it was actually announced earlier this morning, I believe, Steve, that uh, via his long one of his longtime partners that Andre had been thinking for a few years that he was kind of getting tired of the DeFi space, wanted to leave. And then the announcement came out this morning that effective immediately, he was leaving all of the projects he's currently involved in and will not be developing DeFi any further. What's really interesting about this is that the language... So it's important to understand like there's a language barrier here you know, with a lot of different developers from different countries. But the language with which this press release got put out made it sound like Andre was actually terminating all 25 of the applications that he's developed. So a lot of people got really, really freaked out by this. But it just turns out that right now he's winding down, stepping away, but handing off to other leaders. 
That being said, you also know that the markets do not react, um, let's just say commonsensically. So a bunch of projects, because he, de- he was developing primarily on Phantom right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a ton of these protocols that got just absolutely smacked because of this news. So Spooky Swap went down 20%. Liquid Driver went down 17%. Um, Tomb Finance went down 22%. And Geist Finance went down 15%. He's again the guy who's you know behind the brand new Solidly exchange that he founded with um, Daniela Sesta, and he's also one of the principal developers on Yearn Finance, which is one of the biggest DeFi players. Period. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting that all this happens, and again, we can speculate as to why this happened, but I'd rather keep it to the facts and what we actually know. Yep. So, really, is this a massive story for DeFi at large, or do you think we're just going to keep going on? I think it's a massive story at large. Um, and although this sounds very doomsday-ish, the good news is, is like Steve was saying, you're in finance is you know one of the most incredible DeFi applications in existence right now. The good news is that is not one of the applications being wound down. I believe it's being passed off uh, to other members of its essentially board of governors to continue running. Yeah. So the all the protocols that have the ability to be handed off to additional team members are being handed off. I don't necessarily think that this is as big of a deal, but the bigger deal is that we need to be spreading the actual news on this. And mm-hmm. that's that it's not that he's terminating all these protocols. That's yeah. the FUD piece, right? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it's a HODL piece. You have to watch these, um, these platforms, and these DeFi protocols as time goes on. But let's move into our next piece. There's a new protocol on the block called Evmos, and their entire game is starting ETH to Atom, so Ethereum to Cosmos interoperability via an airdrop and mainnet launch. Really interesting update there. I really look forward to using more of the Cosmos ecosystem going forward. Uh, But we also have another story from a project that's built on Cosmos, and that's Terra, which just the other day actually flipped Ethereum. Who'd have thought? In terms of staked value. So this is based on the calculated staking rewards between the two platforms. As of right now, Terra is the one that has a higher staked value. Give me this last story before we move into Metaverse, Chris. Yep. And then finally, Cardano and Algorand uh, both push significant upgrades. Um, I do not know too much about the specifics behind these upgrades. However, I would venture a guess that Part of the reason this is such a big story and why it's been pushed so heavily is that for those who haven't been following, Cardano's value has taken a hit over the past few months. My guess is this is one of the Cardano Foundation's plays to get back ahead and try to stay on track with their long-term goals. I would say that it's a lot more of the latter on what you said. It's to stay on track with the long-term goals. I don't think this is a press thing. I think that Cardano, like what the update really was is they were basically moving the Daedalus wallet to a different block within the system. So basically, it's to not just further secure the Daedalus wallet, but to make it faster and more efficient. I think that's probably what they're trying to do just before the Hydra update that comes out, I believe, in Q3. So that's a big deal. Algorand, really the big update there is that they're making their decentralized applications more powerful by giving you know the developers of decentralized applications a lot more tools and a lot more you know individualized power. But let's talk about last week in the metaverse now. Interesting other stories out of um, the developing Russia and Ukraine narrative. Animoca Brands, who's one of the biggest um, 
gaming houses and you know uh, property owners in terms of IP um, has officially halted its gaming services to Russia. That's an interesting thing because I know that a lot of Russia's economy actually does involve gamers as much as you know GDP would tell you otherwise. What about uh, Ukraine though? Yeah, so for those who don't know by now, Ukraine and Russia are in the middle of a war. Because of the technological differences, Russia has essentially, in the same way that Russia has been cut off uh, from other nations via sanctions, Russia has just technologically isolated Ukraine as well. However, this is the great thing about crypto. When you need to get money to the good guys, it's still very easy to do so. And so Ukraine, I think, has seen something to the tune of like, $20 $20 million over the course of two days or something from when they first asked for Ethereum Bitcoin donations. Uh, and now it's been incredible the amount of support they've gotten and just, yeah. Yeah, big, they're big deal. Yeah, they're closing in on, I believe, $100 million okay. um, right now. But basically, when they were asking for these donations, they were at like $30 million mark. And when they got to the $30 million mark, they started talking about this airdrop that they were going to airdrop something to the donors. Um, and they pulled back on that like within a day, but another 15 million rolled in because people wanted to take advantage of that airdrop. Everybody loves free stuff. But the problem is that because people are talking about this as an airdrop, uh, airdrop that then gets rug pulled, they're, they're skewing the story to be negative. And in reality, it's just greed, right? Yeah. And that's not what we want. People need to understand charity is charity. You're trying to help a bigger cause than just yourself. So uh, for those of people that were expecting an airdrop, sorry, but ultimately there's bigger things at play. Our next story comes from the Ukraine DAO, which was set up um, and they basically wanted to do another push to raise more money for Ukraine. They ended up selling an NFT of the Ukrainian flag for $6.75 million. What value does that have? What utility does that have? Who cares? We're helping Ukraine. Next. This is a really interesting one. I'm pretty sure it's kind of pointless to be assuming that like the leaked images are what got us here, but OpenSea apparently, based on leaked images, plans on adding Solana NFT support. The reason I say the leader on that the way that I do is because it's been publicly known that they're going to be rolling out Solana NFT support. Like it's not a secret. So to me, I think that this is just a non-story, but it's still bullish for NFTs at large. Um, the next piece is really the big story in NFT-related news. Uh, Chris, why don't you talk me through the beginning of this and we'll kind of just bat it back and forth for a minute. Yeah, so the headline itself is just that the SEC is targeting NFT creators and marketplaces. Um, the actual way they're targeting them, I'm not sure. But I do know why they're doing it. Because I believe some study came out in the last two weeks that out of all these like celebrity-led NFT related projects, something like 80% of them ended up being either a rug pull or dishonest about the actual value. So not a great look for celebrities, cough, cough, the Trump family who like to push random stuff just to make a quick buck. So while I'm with you that I think that a lot of these celebrities need to you know, really get reality checked through this, especially Darren Fox, um, this is a lot more to do with the fact that a lot of these NFT projects right now, they're innovating at such a rate that they're losing track of the fact that they could actually be violating securities laws. Um, 
they don't have the flexibility to do what Ethereum can do, like move, move fast, break things, fix it later. They need to be compliant from the start because if they get um, subpoenaed by the SEC, they don't have the war chest to fight that legal battle. So what's been going on here is really specifically targeting NFT creators and marketplaces that theoretically are in violation of securities laws. So that would mean that they need to therefore go back to the Howey test, which you probably have heard of before here on this channel. We've talked about it a little bit as it relates to the SEC versus Ripple case. It's just the specific standards that define whether or not something is a security. Right now, based on my conversations within the space, I am of the mind that a lot of these marketplaces are not necessarily you know, in trouble. Maybe um, DXDY, or I forgot what it is, X, yeah, whatever. It's an exchange that's new. That exchange might be in trouble, um, but the NFT creators that are responsible for projects that have yield-bearing tokens um, that release detailed roadmaps and kind of pitch it on that type of tokenized asset play. Those are the ones that are going to be in trouble here. So be mindful of that. Make sure that you're, if you're going to be in the NFT space, make sure you're investing in projects that you vet heavily, that you know the team, that there's not an anonymous team behind it. And then at the same time, make sure that they're staying regulatorily compliant and that they have a legal team behind them. That's the easiest way to make sure that your investments are safe there. Our last piece in Metaverse news for the last week has been artist People Pleaser, who just announced her new project called Shibuya, which is bringing long-form animation to Web3. So think Kickstarter meets Netflix, but on chain. Really, really interesting concept. I am absolutely ecstatic to see how that one develops. Chris, out of all of these stories, is there any one that you want to return back to? Or um, do you want to chat more about anything that we just covered in the Metaverse? Not particularly, but um, I will say one more thought about the you know NFT creators and marketplaces. It's interesting, kind of back to your point, right? Where they've been moving so quickly that yes, there are probably a lot of projects that are now more so, you know, could be considered a security. But at the end of the day, a lot of these projects are also digital art, and so I know that there are a lot of rules and regulations regarding art, investing in art, buying and selling art that I have a feeling most people haven't even thought of. So I would definitely wait and see there because that could end up being a double whammy for a lot of people. And by people, I mean the projects. You have a really good point there um, in certain cases with art. But as it stands right now, art is not going to be the target for the SEC. The SEC needs to first be targeting larger projects to set precedence. If they're targeting an art project, they're not, it's not going to hold water. Because yeah. There's just too much above it. And at the same time, even these art projects out in the world that get, um, I guess, criticized or you know, watched more closely by like commodities you know, platforms like the CFTC, it's important to understand that those are one-of-one one goods in the real world. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot more behind you know, the... Um, the forensics of whether or not it's actually a legitimate piece of art or if it's a um, forgery. Yeah. But in the digital world, we have proof of it. So it's less so focused on art. But if that art project is bearing a yield-bearing token, it's financially backed, that's problematic. So again, you just have to be thinking about it from the broader perspective here of, okay, which projects may in fact be securities? If it's a one-of-one 
it's not a security by every definition. If it is a generative artwork, there's a chance that you may run into something there because oftentimes with generative works, you're running an algorithm repeatedly and churning out multiple tokens, but the outputs all look different. So again, there's a lot to be developed here. The SEC has not announced which targets um, that it is going after first. But I'm sure that we're going to start hearing more and more over the coming weeks as to which projects have been subpoenaed by the SEC. But for right now, let's go ahead and dive into the real meat and potatoes of this episode. And that, of course, is our Aftershock segment. The Aftershock. So in the Aftershock, as you've come to know, we like to break down a bigger narrative across the last week, whether that's you know looking at a couple of stories that all share one big tie or we just will talk about one thing that has just absolutely taken the crypto world by storm. This week, we're really taking notice on the fact that brands at large from the corporate world are starting to make massive moves in the metaverse. And the first one that we're going to talk about this week is CVS, who just filed NFT and metaverse-related trademarks as it relates to CVS Pharmacy. This is really interesting in a lot of ways, but the biggest is... There's a lot of regulation to go into um, pharmacies and medication as it already stands. I'm curious how this is going to overlay into the metaverse. Do you have any thoughts on this, Chris? Yeah. So when I first saw this, my immediate reaction was, I have a feeling they would do something similar to Walmart, You know, where you can kind of go in, look around, maybe shop. But beyond that, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Teladoc or similar things, Steve. So... That's kind of, I think, a unique way that CVS, for example, could go into the metaverse is essentially being able to create these you know, one-on-one sit-down experiences with actual pharmacists and doctors to essentially help patients figure out the best prescriptions for them. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I think that telehealth is one of the biggest benefactors here. Um, I do not think that CVS is going to compete with Walmart as directly as like how you would go into a virtual world to go down an aisle and look at all of your goods. Mm-hmm. And I only say that because I know that CVS has such an immense part of its business comes from the pharmacy specifically. Um, quick shout out to my wife, who's a pharmacy manager for Walmart. Um, that's the only reason I would ever know that. But I think that that's probably going to be exactly where they go. They go to telehealth. Um, and that's going to make um, prescription management, adherence, and consultation a lot easier and should ultimately help their workforce. So hopefully that's the case there. Um, But let's move on to this next piece that really was making a bigger wave. And that was the launch of Dapper Labs NFL All Day Marketplace. Now you are probably more familiar with NBA Top Shot. Everybody has been talking about NBA Top Shot since it launched. It's this massive new platform where they're able to take clips from NBA games and repurpose them into NFTs and moments that you can purchase and trade on the Dapper, uh, Dapper Labs platform. NFL All Day is just the NBA Top Shot program adapted to the NFL. And it debuted last week um, to $5 million in sales in its first week. I think it's going to be a really exciting new marketplace, Chris. But to me, I still think that the NFL is still very far behind the NBA in terms of overall sentiment from fans. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that this is a little bit bigger of a deal with the NFL? I think it's a... I think it's a bigger deal with the NFL just because the NFL is infinitely larger than the NBA will ever be. 
And that may be a bit of a hot take, but the reality is that this fall, the NFL had 35 of the top 36 watched TV shows. That is unreal. So you have... My point is you have a ton of money in the NFL. This is a big deal. However, and to your point, Steve, I do agree with you. Fan sentiment is higher in the NBA. And part of that goes to who their commissioner is. Adam Silver has really done right, not just by the players, but by the fans as well. And basically took the NBA way beyond anything we'd ever seen from a franchise sports league into just you know content, merchandise, fan experiences. So I agree with you. I think it's going to take a little longer for it to catch on with fans. And part of that is because of the way the NFL is run. That being said, hopefully... You know, it does go well. You don't want to see it fail, but yeah. only Look, time will tell. I think that it is a really big deal at large, but I think that the bigger deal here is not about NFL versus NBA. The big deal here is Dapper. Dapper is making these massive scale partnerships and is turning out to be one of the biggest, most significant players in NFTs right now in terms of brand integration. So I'm not going to be surprised to see Dapper make additional moves like this in into the coming months and years. But to me, that's an endorsement of the Flow blockchain because that's not being deployed on Ethereum. That is on its own independent blockchain. And Flow, as of right now, has been evaluated as a security. I believe they've already determined it's not. But because there's so much speculation, like there are certain exchanges that have refused to list it for the moment until clarity is given. I have a feeling that's going to change. And I've also got an inside tip that says that it is probably going to change here very shortly. In the uh, sense so, that it would become a security? Um, no, in the sense that it's going to get listed and it's not going to end up being a security. Interesting. Um, I would keep a very close eye on this. I think that Flow actually is going to be one of the biggest players within NFL, not NFL, NFT blockchains going forward. It's been a day, man. My, my brain is fried. <laughs> Um, Non-fungible leagues. You heard it here first. Yeah. So non-fungible brains as well. Um, Flow's blockchain is leaps and bounds ahead of just about any other blockchain as it relates to NFTs. It's optimized for it. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I will be watching this story very closely as time goes on. And I would recommend that you do too. The next story to me is the biggest story out of brands entering the metaverse in the past week. And it's a very recent story. Um, for those of you that are children of the 90s, you may remember uh, Mobile Suit Gundam or Gundam Wing. That is the product of Bandai Namco. So yes, they had shows, but they also had action figures and they also had video games. Bandai Namco has announced they're going to spend $130 million developing a Gundam metaverse. Chris, to say this is the coolest news of the week is just the grossest understatement. Ever. Completely agree. <laughs> this is awesome. And this is, I think, one of the biggest things that's going to come from this, right? We've seen all these, you know, metaverse basically betas right now that are out. And the, it would be kind to say that the artwork is substandard. But Bandai Namco coming in, you know, that they're not going to, you know, half ass this for lack of a better term. They are going to pull out all the stops. You're going to get to see some not only just incredible artwork, but probably animation as well. 
some very well-built games. Like They do it all. They're an incredible company in this space. And so I'm really excited to see where they go with this next. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Um, the way that I've kind of seen this story develop is that they, yes, they may develop their own proprietary metaverse. But I think that by the end of us, not the end of it, because like metaverses are going to be here for a while. By the time we really see metaverses deployed in a meaningful way, I have a feeling that this is the type of thing where you're going to get a, a miniature world inside of another metaverse. And that's why I want to return to a specific metaverse that I brought up a couple weeks ago on the show. And that's Wilder World. There is no other metaverse that is really trying to be an open metaverse with high quality graphics, like on the level that you saw in the movie Ready Player One. None of them get close to Wilder World. It's absolute madness. So to think that Bandai Namco is going to come in and deploy a metaverse that revolves around these iconic characters and you know gigantic mechs that you see in places like Tokyo still like they're going to have to be in a high quality metaverse and i think that Wilder World is a fantastic like product for them to deploy on so i'll be interested to see how this continues into the future but our final story is actually a really small one that has bigger ramifications and that is the MWC Congress um conference excuse me um, that's Mobile World Congress Conference. Every year, um, it's one of the biggest shows um, within the mobile technology space. And at this year's conference, apparently, like word from the floor is, everybody was talking metaverse, how they can get you know metaverse integration to go more mobile, how they can get metaverse to be more far-reaching. So this is not going away. And people who want to say that it's underdeveloped, they're right. Right now, it's underdeveloped, but it's not that it's going to stay that way for long. We are going to see metaverses become a really significant part of our lives going forward. It's just a matter of time. Now, for us to wrap this up, we wanted to take apart a couple things in this larger narrative this week for you. And we're going to start with which businesses will be next to enter this metaverse narrative. And again, you've got a ton to go from already, right? You've seen um, Walmart enter the space. You've seen Adidas, Nike, Puma in recent weeks. Chris, in your opinion, what businesses do you see and brands do you see entering the metaverse next? I think, you know, first and foremost, just to give everyone a rundown, right? So far, we've seen, you know, companies like Meta, for example, they're a social media company, regardless of what they may say they are now. They're still a social media company. They're all in on the metaverse. We've seen retailers like Walmart, like Steve is saying, also Nike, Puma, etc. Now we're seeing bigger, more creative brands like Bandai Namco. So that pretty much covers you know, interactive entertainment, shopping, social media. So then really, I guess, what's next? Well, this has already kind of been talked about. And I think... You have to say that events, or not really events, I guess, but traditional interactive experiences like theme parks have got to be in this, right? Disney is just, they are so well primed to really just launch into the metaverse because, yes, while they still have world class theme parks like Disney World and Disneyland, they are going to be salivating knowing that there are people obsessed with Disney 
who would pay probably too much money to essentially have access to that level of interactive experience 24-7 at home. And so I think that's first and foremost, the next industry to jump in is going to be interactive entertainment, things like theme parks, um, things of that nature. I would have to agree that they're going to jump in. I'm just not sure if they're going to be next. And the reason that I say that is because to deploy something like that in a true virtual reality environment takes an insane amount of development and a lot of modeling. But to me, what industry has not stepped in yet, it's going to step in and to deploy it would be a lot easier. I think it's going to be recruitment. Right now, you have big brands like ZipRecruiter, Indeed, Glassdoor, and even LinkedIn to a degree that offer a lot of job recruitment services. And as the world has shifted to be much more geared towards work from home, that means they're going to have to change the actual hiring practices and they're going to have to humanize it to a better degree. So I think that right now, the businesses and brands that are tied up in the recruitment and HR worlds are likely going to be the next ones to make that big step into the metaverse. It's going to improve a lot of the hiring experience at large. And frankly, it's going to get us off of paper and off of just the basic 2D element that Zoom calls have brought us throughout the pandemic. So now that we've kind of given two takes on that, I think that we need to get into a bigger take here. And that is right now, because we're in bearish momentum, I'm not saying we're in a bear market, but we're in bearish momentum. What metaverse investment prospects are you looking at as opportunities right this moment? Chris, off the top, do you have any that you're eyeing right now? Yeah. Um, and it may be a, a bit of a cop-out answer, but you know, Decentraland. You've got to look at the blue chip plays here. Reason being that we've already seen how valuable they can get. So they're about to shrink quite a bit during this you know, bearish sentiment, maybe... Down the road, we move into a true bear market. That's what you really want to snap up. Yes, it's all well and good, in my opinion, to go and look at some of these more fringe plays that could be home runs or moonshots. But if you know already that a play like Decentraland has done so well in terms of value, monetarily, but also from an application standpoint, if its value is going to shrink, that's a guaranteed return on your investment, in my opinion. Because you know it will go back up as more bullish sentiment picks up down the line. Yeah, I, I think it's a really good pick. I think that Decentraland is going to be here for a while to come. I do believe that you know, to a degree, like all these metaverses can interact. They don't need to just be standalone. And for that reason, to me, I think the biggest opportunities are going to be in the pick and shovel plays. The ones that are going to facilitate and allow for metaverses to be interoperable. So the easy pick for me is Affinity, which is the specific like multi-chain token behind the engine protocol. They're doing really incredible stuff with that. It's largely grounded in Polkadot. So well worth watching Affinity going forward. But to me, as I said earlier, I really like what Flow is doing. I think they're going to be a big facilitator of digital, good, facilitator of digital goods in the space. And then the last one that I had um, was kind of a long shot. I'll give you two that are kind of long shots, but it's because they've gotten absolutely hammered during the bear market here. Those are RMRK, 
which is doing like a very unique approach to metaverse building and game development. And then the other one is Render Token, R-N-D-R. Damn it, I have to give one other one. Hero, H-E-R-O, which is MetaHero. MetaHero and Render, in my opinion, are going to be some of the biggest facilitators of bringing individuals into the metaverse. Render is basically a token that is moving towards creating um, more virtual properties to display in these worlds. And MetaHero is allowing people to literally go into a machine to create 3D renderings of themselves so they can play as themselves in true avatar form in the metaverse. So I'd be looking at a lot of those plays and then rewinding this to get all of those down on paper again. The last question that we want to talk about real quick is this idea of open metaverse versus pocket metaverses. Which one ultimately wins out? Chris, I want to toss the ball to you first because it's interesting the more I hear about this, the more I continue to kind of teeter. Because obviously, mankind has not really proven themselves in the last couple of weeks to be really good at cooperation or working together. So how do you view this argument? Do you think we're headed for one open metaverse where all of them interoperate? Or are we talking about pocket metaverses into the distant future? I definitely think we are going to be going more towards pocket metaverses for the most part. I think meta will be a perfect example of something that sells itself as an open metaverse, but they have all the control. And I think that's really what it comes down to is it completely depends on who the parent brand is, how much control matters to them, but also the data consumption, right? Meta, yes, is a social media company, regardless of what they say. But at the end of the day, their product is user data and advertising. And if you think back to, you know, Steve was mentioning Ready Player One earlier, the villain in that movie was essentially trying to over-monetize the metaverse. So you're probably going to see that from something like Meta. On the other hand, though, I think you could have these pseudo-pocket metaverses that are kind of a hybrid between open and closed, uh, just to give a better, you know, kind of opposing term. Because I think a company like Microsoft will, yes, be considered a pocket metaverse, but with all of their gaming acquisitions, you know they're also going to be making, you know, probably other form of entertainment acquisitions. They are going to be coming in hot with so much IP that a lot of the users of Microsoft's metaverse aren't going to need other metaverses because they'll have so much to keep them busy and occupied. You know, why would you go and use a meta? Because meta doesn't have access to the entire games library of Xbox's worth of IP, just as an example. I like the take a lot. Um, the way that I see it, I have a lot of difficulty getting behind either one 100%. Now, is that the cop-out answer that, we, that we're going to go with right now so that we can just call this episode a day? You should know better by now that that's not going to be what I do. I'm not the person that is um, short-winded or concise. So we're going to dig in for two, two more seconds here. I think that what we have the potential for right now is a true open metaverse. But that's not to say that we're not going to see it as like you have one big open metaverse that you can go into. 
and then you can open a door into another one. So the way that I kind of am viewing this is, okay, you have the mobile suit Gundam metaverse that Bandai is creating. Well, from a user interface and a um, design language perspective, that's not going to play effectively when you look at the sandbox, right? Those two assets don't have the like ease of interoperability. However, you can take a Gundam suit and move it into Wilder World. Or you can take Wilder World as the base layer because, again, people want to take control of their own data and their own assets. That's the entire purpose behind decentralization is to take back control so that ultimately you're not the product anymore, right? In my mind, the open metaverse development is going to take longer, of course, than these pocket metaverses. But I see it as all of them are going to eventually plug into one or two larger metaverses. And you're going to be able to use that as your access point to get into the Bandai Namco Gundam Suit metaverse. And then the Adidas or the Board Ape metaverse, because I'm sure that Board Ape is eventually going to develop their own metaverse. They're crazy. Everybody's crazy right now. But the point is, is that I think that that is the truth, is the open metaverse concept has potential. It's going to take longer to develop. But ultimately, it's going to be the gateway to a vast array of experiences. And that's what the metaverse is about. It's about making experiences better for the end user. So that is my quick riff on it. But that's going to wrap up our Aftershock segment this week. Chris, I appreciate you coming on and helping out while Richard is getting married. Um, We again want to wish Richard and his lovely bride, Carly, the best from the CryptoCurrent team. But we also want to make sure that we tell you about what is coming up this week. Of course, we did just have on Monday Andrew Sales from SoLads and their game Ladopoly. Um, really interesting pro- program that they're dropping over there basically as a game on Solana that you can play with NFTs. We also have a brand new episode of Our Crypto Decrypted with Chris. Chris, what are we talking about this week? Yeah, so this week is actually going to be a bit of a segue. Uh, we just wrapped up essentially the true fundamentals of crypto, blockchain, and how it all works. So I'll be doing a quick summary of that. And then we're going to be transitioning actually and looking at the next step, which is crypto mining, different forms of consensus. Essentially, now that you understand these different projects, their blockchains and how they work, now you need to understand how they run and how more of the tokens are created. It's going to be really great. I'm really excited that you're actually getting into that stuff because while it may seem nitty and gritty, it's stuff that is essential to understanding decentralization and blockchain as you evolve into this experience of where the world's headed with Web3. Um, on Thursdays, we are excited to share that, we, and we haven't talked it up enough, but on Thursdays, we are rolling out a new series on Twitter Spaces called NF Thursdays Happy Hour with Cryptocurrent. So if you would like to, make sure you go give us a follow over on Twitter and Turn on notifications because that's how you're going to be updated as to when we take these Twitter spaces live. But traditionally speaking, after this week, we're going to be using 7 p.m. Eastern time as our block to chat with our community. So you can come into that non-fungible Thursday happy hour space and have a conversation and network within the cryptocurrent family. So we would love it if you come by for that. And we also are doing a set of NFTs for that so you can get your very own proof of actual participation or a POAP at the very end of each happy hour. 
Our final note is this week on Friday when Richard is getting married. We are debuting an episode that is really exciting um, that he had fun recording with the folks behind Sapien Network. I'm going to let that one be. I'm not going to give you too much detail. Just know that it's going to be one to remember. Well, guys, that's going to do it again for us here. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a like or jump into the comments. Let us know what you think. If you're listening over on podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, be sure that you leave us a review. We want to get your feedback. And at the same time, we want to look good. But that's going to do it for us this week. We hope that you have a great rest of the week. Make sure that you stay cryptocurrent. And we'll see you next time. 